Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, good night. It's good to be with you guys. If you don't know me, I know some of you. My name is Jeff Parrott. I work with the student ministry team here in our church. I'm a pastor, and I get to work with middle school students and high school students, and I love what I get to do. I learn a lot about Jesus uh, with their questions and their earnestness to really know God and be known by God. And I'm excited to be with you guys tonight because what we're going to talk about tonight, I think, demonstrates for me, reminds me, and demonstrates, I think, for the world, the difference that Jesus makes. The difference that Jesus makes in every part of our lives the difference that Jesus makes in every moment of our lives. And so we're going to dig into the difference that Jesus makes for our lives and for our world. But I actually want to start tonight by by going back to 1989. So in 1989, one of the most iconic images in the 20th century was captured. It was in the city of Beijing in the summertime. There were some uh, pro-democracy protests being carried out by college students, people your age, in the city of Beijing in this uh, area known as Tiananmen Square. And so thousands of college students, uh, university students got together and they were protesting for democracy. They had seen abuses of power in the government and they realized that they wanted things to be different and they thought that they could make a difference. But then the the government of China rolled up to the protests with rows and rows and rows of tanks and soldiers. And it's really tragic. Hundreds of students, hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, were massacred by their own government. Using the power of the government to, to oppress the people. And we don't even really know how many people died in the Tiananmen Square massacre because the government never really followed up on it and reported it. But there's this one image that that stands out from the Tiananmen Square massacre that captured people's attention because it challenged their picture of what power is. And it's the picture of the tank man. Maybe you've seen this picture. It's just an ordinary guy. He's unnamed. Nobody knows who he is. He, he walked out of the sidewalk. He's just carrying two grocery bags. And as the rows of tanks were, were rolling down the streets to massacre his fellow citizens, the tank man steps in the way. He stops the tanks. It's funny. If you watch the video, you actually see the tanks kind of trying to go around him. And he just he stands his ground, and people are cheering him on because they just are amazed at this, the thing that this guy is doing. And the question that made people ask, the question that I want us to ask tonight is, who in that image of the tank man has power? Why don't you look at it again? Who has power in this picture? On on the one hand, the tanks, you know, tons of steel, high-powered weaponry, you know, soldiers inside them ready to go to combat, a lot of power, right? And yet, the guy that nobody knows with the grocery bags stops them. Who has the power? What is power? How do we use it? 
What difference does our power make in our day-to-day lives and our, in our world? How does it shape us and how does it shape the people around us? See, in the same way that the image of the tank man from the Tiananmen Square massacre kind of challenges our assumptions about power, our assumptions about who has power and what difference power can make, there's a real significant way that in the Beatitudes and Jesus' instructions to his closest disciples, his instructions to us, Jesus will challenge our definition of power. Jesus challenges the ways that we use our power. But then Jesus will also show us a different way to get power in our lives. Well, let's start just with the words of Jesus in Matthew 5.5. 5. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, full of life, full of goodness, full of joy, the good life, the truly good life, lived for God's purposes, is lived by those who are meek. But what is meekness? What does it mean to be meek? Is meekness just weakness? Is a meek person a person who's a doormat that other people trample all over? Is meekness just being a nice person? Is meekness just being a nice Christian person? Or is meekness a lot deeper than just that? I really like the definition that a guy named Dan Duriani has for uh, meekness. He says this, the mark of meekness is not the absence of assertiveness. It's not the absence of presence. It's not the absence of strength. It's actually the absence of self-assertion. Meekness isn't about being a doormat. Meekness isn't about just letting everybody get their way with your life. Meekness is not about being nice. Meekness is taking the strength, taking the power that all of us have, and not using it to assert ourselves, to further ourselves, to further our little kingdoms. It turns out that you, you can't actually be weak to be meek. You have to have strength. Jesus, in calling us to be meek, isn't asking whether or not we have power in our lives. The question isn't, do we have power? The question that Jesus asks of us when he calls us to be meek is, how do we use our power? How do we use our strength, our influence, our words? How do we use our engagement with technology? How do we use our physical bodies in the world and people around us? I think before we think more about meekness, it would be helpful to define power. What is power? Is power something that only a, a, you know, a two-ton tank has? Is power something that only university professors have? Is power only something that pastors or parents have or bosses? Or is power actually far more widespread than that? Um, I, I really appreciate the book. There's a, there's a guy named uh, Andy Crouch who wrote a book called Playing God all about what does it mean to be human. I'd highly recommend it if, if you're a reader. Um, but Andy Crouch says this. He, he asks first, what then is power? What is power? Is it something that comes with a position? Is it something else? He says this. Power is actually just the ability to make something of the world. It's a creational, creative instinct that every person has. Everyone in this room has power. He goes on to say that power is actually the most distinctive thing that humans do when we create things, 
when we bring things together, when we make something out of things that, you know, don't seem to go together, whether that's in a relationship or a piece of technology or a piece of artwork, all of those are instances of human beings using power. If you look at the first pages of the Bible, you see that, that to be human, to be made in the image of God, is to exercise power in the world, to exercise and extend his kingdom in the world through the God-given power that we have. So, so Jesus is wanting us to consider how do we use our power. All of us have power, whether it's through our phones, online or social media accounts, whether it's in our classrooms or with our roommates, whether it's with our, or our friends, people in our small group, maybe it's also with people that we can't stand but we rub shoulders with and we wish we didn't have to. There is power at play in all of those relationships and all of those dynamics. And so Jesus is calling us to ask, how do we use our power? He's saying, blessed are the meek. Happy are those who are actually ones who don't use their power to take things, but to give. To use that creative capacity that Andy Crouch talked about, the thing that's wired in the DNA of humanity. When Jesus, though, talks about the meek inheriting the earth and blessed are the meek, he's not just talking in a vacuum. It's not just a great saying that he pulled out of nowhere, I think I'll bless the meek in this Sermon on the Mount. Well, we actually read it during worship. Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 37, a psalm of David. And in the bigger context of Psalm 37, there's this contrast between the wicked who use their power to take from other people, whether it's economic or physical power, any kind of relational power. The wicked are the people who seem like they're living the good life. They seem like they're living the, the blessed life. And so David says this, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, though it seems attractive, though it seems like the best way to use our power is to build our little kingdoms, even at the expense of others, maybe even especially at the expense of other people. David says, the wicked won't actually be there. Living for your own, using your power to live for your own kingdom, to assert yourself, to build yourself up, using your power to make your life perfect and happy to live on your agenda doesn't last. And so Jesus is calling to mind this contrast of the wicked, the people who use their power to oppress other people with their words, with their finances, with their habits, with their bodies. But then he goes on to say this, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace, in abundant shalom, in completeness, in life the way that it's meant to be. That's what the meek person has. And in the moment, you might think that laying down your power, that laying down your agenda, that laying down your ability to assert yourself, that might feel like a big loss. In fact, it usually does. But Jesus is reminding us of the same thing that David reminded the people of God of hundreds of years before, is that, that actually it's the meek, the people who use their power to bless other people. They are the ones in the long run, in the big picture, who will come out on top because they actually have shalom. It wasn't just about them. Yeah, I think in, in the heart of humanity, this is a, a struggle that I have, probably all of us have, 
the tension that Psalm 37 talks about, the tension to live for our kingdoms, to use our power, whatever it looks like, with our head, our heart, our hands, our words, to use our power to build our little kingdoms instead of building God's kingdom, instead of blessing other people and extending shalom out into the world. There's a philosopher, old German philosopher, I think actually explains this really well, a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. And some of you guys, you probably studied him in high school, probably even have classes on him right now in college. But Nietzsche, you know, had this really interesting concept of how power dynamics play out in our world. And he said a statement about how people use their power that I think actually really nails down what sin does to our hearts, what sin does to our lives when we use our power for our own little kingdoms. So Nietzsche says this in Will to Power. He says, my idea is that every specific body strives to become master over all space and to extend its force and to thrust back all that resists its extension. So you see how Nietzsche sees our lives playing out. That every single one of us, every single individual, the nice person, the mean person, it doesn't matter your disposition whether you're happy or not, he says that all of us are bodies that strive to become masters over everything around us. And he goes on to explain that the problem becomes is that when you're striving to become master over the space around you, that, that conflict arises when you run into another body that's trying to assert itself and become master over its space. And so there's a struggle to see who will be the one whose kingdom comes out on top. And you see the tragedy of this in world history even. The the philosophy of using your power to assert yourself, to to build your kingdom, to build out your space in the world was was adopted and used by the Nazis. They took the ideology of Nietzsche and said, yeah, that's how life works. That is how the good life is extended, is if we use our power, even if it costs other people their lives. Maybe even especially if it costs other people their lives because it takes us from here to here. That's how we'll use our power. And I think all of us have a tendency to use our power with our words, with our, with our thoughts, with our hands, with our relationships, to build our own little kingdoms. That's the calling card of sin. Let me think about my kingdom, especially if it comes at the expense of other people's kingdoms. So I, I think this plays out in all of our lives in different ways, but there, there are two things I wanted to think about tonight. How, how do we use our power? How do we, how do we not follow Jesus' pathway of meekness and instead use our power to assert ourselves, to build our little kingdoms? I, I think one of the most subversive and, and hard-to-pin-down ways that we do this today, that people have always done this, is through our words now, you might be thinking at first, you know, when I think, you think about, you know, the call to be meek in our words might be for the person who's harsh, might just be for the person who's brash, who tears people down, and it certainly, it certainly, certainly is. You might be the kind of person that uses your words as a defense mechanism against any threat to your kingdom. Do you have a habit of tearing other people down a couple pegs? Maybe just for the fun of it, but maybe deep down inside of yourself, you know that there's something that you're trying to fill up. There's some kind of kingdom that you're trying to protect at the expense of other people. That's that's using your power 
Not in a way that brings about flourishing and shalom and peace, but in a way that brings about dehumanization. And over time, that use of words adds up, and you become the kind of person that's careless about your words, and, and you never know how many people you're actually going to wound just because you're trying to defend your kingdom. I think there's also an even more subversive way with our words, though, that we fail to be meek, that we actually use our power to protect ourselves instead of blessing other people. I want to talk a little bit about the nice person, maybe even especially the nice Christian person. The person who's so terrified of using their words to say a hard thing out of love that they stay silent when they actually should speak up. This is the thing that I struggle with over and over again. I'm the kind of person that when I know that I should say something, I know I need to say a hard thing to somebody, and I want to do it in a loving way, but I know at the end of the day, if that person thinks less of me, if they see me as a challenge, then then they might actually bring me down a couple pegs in their mind. And that person's approval for me is a threat to my kingdom. If I lose their approval, then, then what happens to the kingdom of Jeff? You can be a really nice person and fail to be a meek person because you fail to recognize that, that you're not laying your power down even in being able to say hard things to people. So, so we all struggle to be meek when it comes to our words. We all struggle to, to use our power to protect our kingdom when it comes to our words, whether you're the harsh person or the person that actually needs to grow in saying hard things to people. But, but I think there's another way, and I just have to throw it out there and just say it. But I think meekness really applies to the ways that we use our bodies. It's easy to think of Christianity, of spirituality, of the teachings of Jesus as these spiritual truths, these philosophical statements that apply to our minds and their ideas that we soak up. But I think it's easy to forget the, the incredible physicality of Christianity, that we're image bearers of God, not just here, and not just here, but here. And that means that Jesus' call to use our power in ways that involve laying down our rights, laying down our agendas, laying down our comfort, it applies to the ways that we use our bodies. And the way that I struggled with this the most when I was in college was when it came to sexuality and relationships. I know that's one of the biggest struggles. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around, especially if you're in a relationship where you care about somebody. But I just want to ask you something. If you're in a relationship, or maybe you're not in a relationship, the ways that you use your body with somebody else, that's, that's an occasion where Jesus wants to ask, what are you using your power for? Are you trying to protect and build up your own kingdom, your own self-worth at the expense of somebody else? Might you be doing damage to somebody else's life at the expense of your own glory, the expense of your own comfort and your own kingdom? And look, I get that the idea of sexuality and the, the, the ethics of Christian sexuality are complicated and they're very countercultural, right? And so there's so much that we could say about it. But I think at a minimum, Jesus is called to meekness. Jesus is called to use our power not to assert ourselves. We have to hear Jesus' call and be willing to ask the question, is the way that I'm using my body, is that just a, a means of me extending my own kingdom? Or is there more at play? 
Are there ways that I need to repent of using my words, of using my body in ways that are actually so harmful to other people because all I've been thinking about is protecting and extending my kingdom? The idea of meekness isn't just a character issue. It is, at its heart, a kingdom issue. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that idea of inheriting the earth isn't isn't just supposed to be a cryptic statement. It's a shout-out back to Psalm 37, talking about the meek people inheriting the land, not just any land, but inheriting the promised land. The promised land where God's kingdom would come to fruition, where God's kingdom would extend through the life of his people. Jesus is saying is that our meekness, our use of our power is not just a personal thing. It's not just a me thing. It's not just a character issue. It's a kingdom issue. And if you want to live the blessed life, we have to be willing to honestly diagnose the ways that we use our words and our bodies and our thoughts and our habits to build our own little kingdoms instead of God's kingdom. But if you're like me, I'm the kind of person when I hear Jesus' call, I think that's great. But it's also incredibly daunting, right? It's daunting to think about about every single interaction, every single relationship being an opportunity for me to lay down my power, for me to use it, but in a way that doesn't have to do with asserting myself, but instead blessing other people and extending God's kingdom. How does anybody actually do that? Earlier in Matthew's gospel account, um, you get this programmatic, like, big picture emphasis of what Jesus is all about. And, and I love this passage, Mark, uh, Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom in Mark 4, He's giving a forecast. He's, he's showing what is going to happen throughout the rest of his life and ministry. That Jesus is saying, I am the king who's bringing the kingdom into your lives, into your world, into your hearts. Jesus says the kingdom isn't this thing that you attain. Isn't this thing that you necessarily seek out and, and you know, grab for yourself. The kingdom is coming because the king is here. Jesus is the king who brings the good news of life and relationship with God and shalom with God into our very hearts and into our lives, into our world. That means that you know, when Jesus dies on the cross and when he leaves the tomb that he was buried in empty three days later, he's bringing his kingdom to bear in our hearts and freeing us to be the kind of people who can use our power to love other people. Another way to think about it is this. There's, there's no way to live with gospel meekness unless you're convinced, absolutely convinced, that you're already loved. I can use my power only to love other people if I'm convinced that I already am perfectly loved by my good creator and king, Jesus. And Jesus says, I actually am the one who came to bring the kingdom into your hearts. Not because you did anything. Because I love you. Jesus isn't just the example of meekness. He's the empowerer of our meekness. So what? 
what difference does this make in our day-to-day lives? So we talked about words. We, we talked about our bodies and, and sexuality and relationships. But I think for me, something that's been a helpful diagnostic question that I have to be willing to ask, something I have to be willing to think about, is, is notice those moments in my life where I can tell that my little kingdom, my little Jeff kingdom is being threatened. So maybe for you, you have something similar to this. For me, it's when I notice my heart rate starts to increase. Maybe when somebody's critiquing something I said. Maybe when somebody's critiquing an idea that I had. Maybe when somebody's questioning my intelligence. I know those are kind of dumb. They seem like probably trivial things because I have a lot to learn and I don't always make great decisions. In fact, usually I don't. But in my heart of hearts, I take any kind of feedback or critique from other people as a kingdom threat. And so one of the things we have to be willing to do is be able to name those places, name those occasions where we sense that somebody might be encroaching on our little kingdoms. And in that space, to be able to say, you know, I I notice within me that that this is not just a, a character issue, this is not just a person issue, this is a kingdom issue. And to remind ourselves of the good news that Jesus brings the kingdom into our hearts, into our world. And say, you know what? This person can say this hard thing to me. This person can critique me. This person can not even like not like me. And it's okay. Because I'm not defending my kingdom anymore. I'm not defending my kingdom because I'm living for a different kingdom. I'm living for a different king. And so in that moment, I have the freedom to be able to hear somebody talk to me. I have the freedom to be able to say a hard thing out of love for somebody because I actually love them. I don't just see them, as Nietzsche said, as a a body that's trying to encroach on my space, that's trying to encroach on my little kingdom. I want to go back to the, um, sorry, before that verse, I want to go back to that image of the tank man. Some of us, I think, are convinced that we want this. We want to live with gospel meekness in our lives. We want to use our power to bless other people. But we think it's absolutely impossible. And I want you to remember the tank man, the image of a guy with two grocery bags standing in front of a tank. His power doesn't come from the fact that he himself is impressive. It comes from the fact that there's an entire movement behind him. It wasn't just one person staying in front of those tanks. It was a movement of people that wanted change. And in a similar kind of a way, the moments where we struggle to be meek, the moments where we struggle to lay down our power and actually use it to love other people, we do that not because we're great people. We do that because there's a kingdom movement that's breaking into our hearts and breaking into our world. Finally, you know, I think some of us maybe in this room tonight, might be convinced that Jesus' words about meekness and the blessedness of meekness. We might think that that's great advice, but we're also really convinced that we live in a dog-eat-dog world, and, you know, at the end of the day, I've got to use my power to look out for number one. I've got to use my power to look out for myself. And and if that's you, and maybe you're suspicious of Jesus' words about meekness, can I just ask you to think about your life 40 years from now? Think about all the relationships that you are going to cultivate and have in that time span. You're a college student now, but one day you're going to be an employee, maybe a boss, might be a spouse or parent. You'll be a neighbor, you'll be a citizen, you'll be a voter. You have all these different areas to be able to interact with other people. 
And at the end of 40 years, 40 years from now, do you want to look back and say, yeah, looking at all those people that I used, looking at all those people that I trampled over with my words, with my body, with my habits, that was worth it to build my little kingdom that will go away when I breathe my last breath. Or do you want to look back 40 years from now and say, not overnight, not perfectly, I didn't do it perfectly every day, but I was progressively growing and not seeing my life as an occasion, as a game of of protecting my kingdom, but I was actually living for a different kingdom, for a kingdom that's continuing to break into our world even today. And even if you're here tonight, Aaron, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you're skeptical of Christianity, you're skeptical, not sure what you think about God or the Bible, can I just ask you to consider the fact that this idea of meekness, of using our power to love other people, to glorify God and extend his kingdom, Jesus' teaching on meekness is not, again, it's not a philosophical statement. It was not crafted in a university classroom. It's based on historical event. It's rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the king over all things, who paved the way for our meekness by laying down his power for our good, by giving up his life for our life. And in doing that, he gives us a beautiful picture that has purchase, it has implications for our day-to-day lives today, but also around the world. Every part of our lives, every part of the world is an occasion to live for God's kingdom, to extend it, extend it with our power. And that's one of the reasons why later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will teach his disciples to pray this, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help me to see every area of my life, every relationship, every occasion where I can use my power as an opportunity to extend your kingdom, which is coming into the world. Help me to believe it. Help me to see my role in it through my meekness. As the worship team gets ready to come back up, I I do want to look one more time at the image of the tank man. This photo was taken on June 5th, 1989. And it is censored in the country of China. Most young people your age have not seen this image. The reason is that the, the, the people in control of the country, the people who run things, know that if everyday people see the power of meekness, see the power that just one person can make, see the difference that one person can make, that that's a huge threat to their kingdom. So they try to erase the memory of it. And, and you know, in a similar kind of way, the enemy of God's purposes, the enemy of God's kingdom would love nothing more than for you and I to think that our meekness makes no difference, that our power makes no difference. It would delight the devil more than nothing else to, to think that, that God's people, the followers of Jesus, thought that they didn't have power at all. Or to think that the only way to use their power was to assert themselves and build their own little kingdoms. But Jesus is saying, there's a bigger movement at play in every moment of your life, in every relationship, not just now, but for the rest of your life, to give other people a picture of Jesus, to use your power rooted in Christ, real strength rooted in Christ for the extension and growth.
growth and movement of God's kingdom. That's what he invites us to. Let's continue in worship. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.